Scripture reading tonight will be from Jonah 1, 13 through 17. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased for, from its rage, raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Perhaps you have seen a movie or two over, over the years that maybe the beginning of the, of the movie starts with some sort of, of great, crazy calamity happening and, and you just, you know, how did this person that's in the scene, how did they get to where they are at the, that particular moment? And sometimes the movie will even stop and it'll freeze. All the action will stop and freeze and you'll hear a narrator come on over the, over the screen and they'll say, you're probably wondering how I got here right? I wonder if, if, if we were to in some way produce a Hollywood film, if someone might think about doing something like this, right? You have Jonah flailing around at the, in, in the great tempestuous ocean, as, as was just read in our scripture reading, in which he's sinking down to the bottom and then all of a sudden a great fish opens its mouth and it's about to engulf him and, and maybe you see the action freeze and, and Jonah's saying, you're probably wondering how I got here. As you think about Jonah and, and what's taking place in this great account for us of this prophet who did not do what God told him and commanded him to do, I would suggest to you this evening that, that perhaps the distress that we most often think about when it comes to Jonah is, is most often the time that we find him in the fish. But I want us to look at Jonah chapter 2 this evening and see that there's actually something that I believe to be uh, more to the distress that Jonah faced in before he actually entered into the fish's mouth. Because what we're going to see is Jonah is praying in chapter number 2 while he's in the fish and he's praying that he has been rescued. It's been my experience, right, and oftentimes growing up that when we think about Jonah and the fish, it, it, that's, that's where our mind goes to. We think about the fact that he ran from God, the fact that he got swallowed by a fish, and then he spit out on a dry land, and he goes and preaches to Nineveh. But it may be the case, like it has been for me in the past, for you, that maybe you've skipped right over Jonah chapter number two and the great prayer that Jonah offers. And so I'd encourage you to open your, your Bibles there with me this evening. And I want us to consider that the Jonah chapter two, verses two through nine, might even be considered to be a replay of sorts, a slow motion replay of what happens between Jonah chapter one, verses 12 through, uh, verses 15 through 17. In, in Jonah 1, verse 15, he's thrown into the sea. In Jonah 17, he's swallowed by the fish. 
And I'd suggest to you, it seems that Jonah chapter 2 in some way is a replay of what was going through Jonah's mind as he he is sinking down into the depths of the ocean. Read with me just for a moment. We're not going to read it exactly as it is in the text. We're going to skip over a couple of things uh, as we're reading verses 2 through 9 just for effect's sake effect's sake, so that you're, you're hearing maybe what is going through Jonah's mind as he is sinking, and then we'll, we're going to skip over the parts where he says, and God saved me, because, you know, we know the rest of the story. We've all perhaps heard of Jonah, even if you haven't ever read the book of Jonah, you perhaps at least know something about Jonah. But listen as we hear what Jonah says in Jonah chapter number two, beginning in verse number two. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. For you cast me, verse 3, into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Then jump to verse 5. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went to the moorings of the foundations of the mountains, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. If you read it in, in that particular order, and, and Jonah, as he's reciting what's happening through uh, this prayer, as he's in the belly of the fish, and as is recorded for us, we know, as we said, the end of the story, he's rescued, and Jonah includes that as he's talking through what has happened to him and what he was feeling. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, verse two, and he answered me. At the end of verse two, and you heard my voice. And then at the end of verse number four, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. At the end of verse number six, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. But as Jonah was sinking down, he wasn't yet capable of saying those things that he was reciting, those those things that he was praying while he was in the belly of the fish. Instead, he was crying out to the Lord because of his affliction. The weeds were wrapping around his head. He felt like he had sunk to the bottom of the ocean, the foundations of the mountains, he called them, and, and it was as if the waters were pressing in upon his soul. I want us to consider that maybe sometimes as we study the book of Jonah, we focus too much on Jonah and not enough on God. And by that I mean we know all of what Jonah didn't do. And by that I mean we know that Jonah was swallowed by the fish and we know the bad attitude that Jonah had. But sometimes we maybe forget about the fact that God is really the star of the show throughout the book of Jonah. And we know that because at least two times the number of times throughout the book of Jonah, God's name is mentioned more than Jonah's name. Twice as many times God's name is mentioned more than Jonah's name. It's about what God is doing in the life of Jonah and what God is capable of of taking care of no matter where we are and in what situation and circumstance we find ourselves. And so this evening as we consider Jonah and as as, uh, Brother Joe already alluded to in his prayer, I want us to consider that God is an accessible God even during our distress even during our distress. I want us to remember these things about God this evening. Remember, number one, that we serve an accessible God. We serve an accessible God. And when we think about that, I want us to add on these two words, even when. Even when. We serve an accessible God even when 
I have been terribly sinful. In verses 1 through 17, consider how sinful, how terribly sinful Jonah had been. We, we know that Jonah ran from God, but, but let's presuppose a couple of things. We think that maybe Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he knew that the Ninevites, and the, the, being the capital of, Assyria, of Syria, would have been a terrible place, full of terrible people that were people that, that did terrible things to others. And why would God want to save them? And so it seems as though jo- Jonah had and exhibited a prejudice that was a prejudice that was not characteristic of the God that he served. At the root of Jonah's disobedience seems to be a faulty distaste for the Ninevites. And then, because of that prejudice, it seems that Jonah exalts himself to the place of God. He exalts himself to the place of God. He, he in his mind, determines who is worthy of forgiveness, who is worthy of salvation, who is worthy of being pardoned. Because of the prejudice that he has, he thinks in his mind that his judgments are right and good. And so he says, I'm not going to go to the Ninevites. And so we presuppose some things, at least to begin with, but, they, but they're very likely. But now consider all the way back in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 3, Jonah preferred not to obey God. Notice in Jonah 1 verse 3 it says, but Jonah. You know, sometimes we look at the New Testament and we think about, especially in Romans, oftentimes it said, but God. And we say, wow, what a great three-letter word, but God. What God has done for us and has saved us with that three-letter word is so much wrapped up into it. And here we find that three-letter word, but Jonah. Jonah doesn't do what God asks him to do. He, he doesn't obey him. He prefers not to obey him. But not only does he prefer not to obey him, but he prefers to disobey him. Continuing in verse 3, we find that he flees to go to Tarshish. He gets on a ship and he goes to Tarshish. He wants to be in a position where he's not obeying God, not doing what God has asked him to do. But not only that, we see that, that he flees the presence of God. Talk about a sinful individual, one that has in his mind that he can get away from God as though that were even possible. He flees from the presence of the Lord. But then I want you to notice in verse number five that it seems that Jonah has improper priorities. He has improper priorities. How do we know this? Because he pays a fare, verse number three, I'm sorry, verse number three, he pays the fare to get on the ship. Someone might say, well, Jonah, he just didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want to, you know, deal with the expenditures of traveling or deal with the imposition of of going that way, that that distance. But no, Jonah, his priorities were such that it didn't matter to him. He was going to pay the fare to go to, to Tarshish anyway. And so he has improper priorities. And then in verse number five, we find that Jonah has unwarranted peace. He has unwarranted peace. He's fleeing from God. He's disobeyed God. He has improper priorities. And we find Jonah doing what at the bottom of a ship? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. A man that should be fearing for his life because of the fact that he has disobeyed God and is fleeing from his presence is is found at the bottom of a ship sleeping, much like our Lord later on sleeping in the tempestuous waves of the Galilean Sea. But as we think about Jonah, he didn't have the peace. It wasn't warranted in his life to have peace to be able to sleep in that moment. Because as we'll soon find out, as we know, a a great storm is sent. And then ultimately, he cheaply presents his life in a suicidal way, it seems. It seems as as though Jonah is giving over his life. He's on a suicide mission of sorts because he says, you know, at some point he realizes there's no fleeing God. He's caught up with me. He knows as much. He says, the reason this storm has come is because of me. 
And you have to believe that at the very first sign of trouble, Jonah had to realize that God was catching up with him. And instead of repenting, we find Jonah seemingly like he doesn't care anymore, just sleeping, just sleeping the night away. Whatever happens, happens. And in the end, he resolves to just be thrown into the sea. And it would seem that Jonah would have not have expected to be saved. This would have been a suicide mission. Some say, well, maybe, maybe he was just trying to save the lives of the mariners, maybe, but he's not doing what we'll, fi- we'll eventually come to find out is the simple answer. He's just giving his life over. He's saying, my life is over. I don't, I don't want to try any longer. God is accessible even when I've been terribly sinful. But now I want us to focus in on the prayer. Verses two, uh, chapter two, verses three and four, the first part of verse number four, I want us to realize that God is accessible even when I feel like he's abandoned me. Even when I feel like he's abandoned me, notice what Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, verse two, and then verse three, for you cast me into the deep. He says, you cast me into the deep, talking to God. He says, your billows and your waves have passed over me. You know, sometimes when we are in distress, when we are in a situation where we feel like there's no escape, when we're in a terrible, dire straits, we feel like, why has God abandoned me? But we realize that now Jonah is praying to God and he's accessible to Jonah even when he felt like God had abandoned him. But notice not only that, that God is accessible when I feel like all possible physical hope is lost. Notice the end of verse number three. He says, the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. No longer is he treading water and keeping his chin above water, but now he's sinking down into the depths and it's like all physical possible hope is lost. You, perhaps you've known that feeling. Maybe as a young boy or young girl, you, you struggled learning how to swim and you felt like you were, you were flailing and then all of a sudden you start to sink and, and there's no hope for you left and you start to feel like you're drowning. It seems as though that's how Jonah felt in this moment. And not only that, but look at the end of verse number five. He says, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Weeds were wrapped around my head. If you've ever been at the bottom of, of a pool or the bottom of a lake and maybe you get your foot caught in something, there's, your heart starts to flutter and, and you feel like, you're, how am I going to get out of this situation? <clears throat> and Jonah, in this moment, seems as though he is feeling like there is no possible physical hope left for him. In the sense that he's not going to escape this situation. All hope is lost. He's going to die, it seems, in his mind. But God is also accessible even when I feel like I'm broken. Notice the beginning of verse number five. The waters surround me, even to my soul. Even to my soul. No longer was Jonah enduring just physical trauma, but emotional trauma. Whereas the, the previous point, the idea of, of feeling like all physical possible hope was lost, but now feeling like all spiritual and emotional and, and psychological hope is lost. In the sense that, that Jonah felt like the waters were pressing in so hard as if they were surrounding even to his soul. It wasn't just physically related anymore. It was as if perhaps Jonah was now contemplating his spiritual state. It's as if perhaps Jonah was contemplating not just the fact that he was going to die physically, but now maybe 
in his mind, he's coming to grips with the fact that in the previous days he had been terribly sinful and was now separated from his God. And perhaps now he's maybe thinking about his eternal destiny. Even in that moment, Jonah still finds that God is accessible. But then we find at the end of verse number two, at the beginning of verses six and seven, that God is still accessible even when I'm in the waning moments of life. Notice that Jonah says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. We don't have time to dig in deeply about what that exactly means, but the idea is typically associated with the idea of the grave. The grave. It's as if Jonah has one foot in the grave. He's that close to death. He cries out from the belly of Sheol, and he says, the moorings of the mountain is where I'm at, and the earth with its bars are closing around me forever, forever. Jonah thought this was the end. Jonah thought he had no possible hope left. And yet, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a glimmer of hope, and you know what the glimmer of hope was? God doesn't reach his hand down in there and pull him up out of the water and set him on dry land. The glimmer of hope just so happens to be this great fish that swallows him whole. And I would suggest to you this evening that God is still accessible even when the final resolution is still unclear. Even when the final resolution is still unclear. By that I mean Jonah was not out of the woods yet, or in this case wasn't out of the belly of the fish yet. And he's praying this prayer. He's praying, God rescued me. He's praying, God saved me. God brought my life back from the pit. What are you talking about, Jonah? You're still in the belly of a fish. But he perceived it to be, he knew it to be, that God was rescuing him from this terrible distress that he was in. The resolution, the final resolution had not been quite revealed yet. He didn't know he was going to be spit out onto dry land quite yet. But as he's praying these things, He knows and he comes to find out that God is accessible even when that final resolution is still unclear. Secondly, this evening, consider not just that we serve an accessible God, but I want us to remember from the prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter number two, just how accessible God is. Just how accessible God is. I want us first, before we think about Jonah's prayer, in more, more detail here in a moment, I want us to think about when we don't see Jonah praying. When we don't see Jonah praying, we don't see Jonah praying in verse number three of chapter number one when he is given the commission to go to Nineveh. We don't see Jonah turning to prayer and saying, God, I'm not so sure about this. God, I'm really doubting this. He's not like Moses. Sometimes we give Moses a hard time because he goes back and forth with God. Are you sure, God? I'm not really the guy for this, God. I, I'm kind of slow to speech, God. But, but here's Jonah. He doesn't even respond, it seems. He just runs. He goes. He flees from God. This is a prophet of the Lord, one who has at some point along the way been declaring to others on behalf of God things that God wanted them to know. But here's Jonah. He runs away immediately, and he doesn't even stop to pray about the, the doubt that he has in his mind. But not only that, we don't find a Jonah praying when he is traveling in verse number three. He just pays the fare, gets on the ship, and gets going. We don't find Jonah praying when the storm comes. We find him sleeping instead in the belly of the ship in verse number five. We don't find him even praying when he's asked to pray by the heathen, by those of, that were not followers of the God that Jonah followed. Notice verse number uh, six. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean sleeper? Why are you sleeping? There's a great storm around us, he say. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that maybe we won't perish. 
Do we read of Jonah praying then? Doesn't seem so. What about when his shipmates are fearing for their lives? Maybe Jonah surely in his heart of hearts would would have empathy for these people as they're fearing for their lives and and seeing this great storm coming upon their ship and they know they're going to die. Surely Jonah would pray at least for them. We don't find Jonah praying there either. We don't even find Jonah praying when he knew he was to blame. In verse number 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you, for I know that the great tempest is because of me. He doesn't say, God, forgive me. And you know what's even more unfathomable? It's even harder to understand? Is that in this moment, a prophet of the Lord, in verse number 14, isn't found praying to his God even when the heathen, those that were not followers of the God of heaven, they are found praying. Jonah isn't even praying then. This is how sinful Jonah has been. This is how terribly uh, disobedient Jonah has been. He doesn't turn to prayer even in these moments. And you'd think, man, surely if there was anybody that, that prayer would not be at his disposal for, it would have been Jonah. That God would not have been accessible to Jonah because he's missed all of these opportunities to pray up to this point. But yet even then, consider just how accessible our God is. Jonah's prayer reached God instantly. When he was sinking down into the depths of the ocean, at whatever point it was that Jonah started to pray to God, God heard. That's how accessible our God is. He is just waiting to hear our prayer. His ear is bent toward us. As you think about just how instant it it was, it's not like my computer this morning before I was trying to teach Bible class and it was lagging after after I opened it up after a couple of days and it was just trying to reboot it. It wasn't catching up. It wasn't like an engine of an old, uh, you know, classic car that had been sitting in the garage for years that you try to turn it over. It kind of, and it doesn't turn over and you try it again and again and again. It doesn't doesn't get there. And then finally, it wasn't like that it was instant that's how accessible God was to Jonah even when he'd been sinful even when he'd fled from God's presence Jonah's prayer not only reached God instantly but his prayers knew no boundary his prayers knew no boundary notice what he says and my prayer went up to you my prayer went up to you verse number seven into your holy temple. Jonah had previously tried to get as far away as possible from God as he could. The ironic thing was he'd now reached that point, at least in a physical sense, at least in how we might perceive it to be. Jonah has now sunk to the bottom of the ocean, as it were. He's as far away from God as he can possibly be, and yet Jonah's prayer knows no boundary. It can still reach into God's holy temple. Psalm 116, verse number two. The psalmist says, because he turns his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Another translation puts it this way, I will call on him as long as I have breath. A very fitting translation for the situation that Jonah finds himself sinking down to the bottom of the ocean, perhaps on his last breath as he is nearing the end of his life, and he calls to God, and instantly God hears him from the depths of the ocean. 
how high can my prayers reach? Well, this isn't the only prayer that we find being asked and prayed from a, from a odd location. We know that prayers have reached not only from the depths of the sea, but also from the den of lions. Not only from the den of lions, but from the edge of the Red Sea as an enemy was bearing down upon God's people, but also found those prayers reached to God even from a fiery furnace. Those prayers certainly also reached to God in the throes of infertility and miscarriage. It is reached to God even from wicked cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. It is reached to God from the battlefield with a giant. It is reached to God even from a prison cell. Our prayers can reach God. They know no boundary They can reach him instantly and they can reach him from everywhere. But also notice that his prayers were offered in simplicity. Jonah didn't need a rosary. Jonah didn't need a a ritual or a ceremony. He didn't need to participate in some seance or, or to burn incense. Jonah didn't need anything, fill in the blank. He didn't need anything but his mental faculties to just simply offer this prayer to God and God was accessible. Even while he was flailing, even while he was sinking down and fighting the waves in agony. Think about the variability in which he is praying. I mean, how often have you ever heard of someone else praying from the belly of a fish? For all we know, Jonah's the only one that is offering a prayer to God. Talk about a prayer posture. You think about sometimes we we make a distinction between maybe getting on our knees before bed at night or or sometimes people even laying on on their body prostrate before God. We can pray as we're sinking in the ocean. We can pray as we're driving on the road. Keep your eyes open. We can pray as we are are individuals that are that are in mourning, in sackcloth and ashes, while we're destitute. God's prayer, our prayer reaches to God. He's accessible no matter the circumstance or situation that we're in, no matter where we are. His prayers were offered with variability, but I want us to notice also, our God is accessible in another interesting way in the account of Jonah. His prayers came from scriptures committed to memory. As we read these things, perhaps some of them stood out to you, but there are a number of places that it seems very similar to some psalms that we find throughout the book of Psalms that Jonah is praying. Notice with me. Jonah chapter two and verse number two, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Seems very similar to Psalm 120 verse one. In my distress, I cried unto Jehovah and he answered me. Jonah chapter two and verse number three, for you cast me into the sea, into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Sounds very similar to Psalm 88 verse number six. You have laid me in the lowest pit in darkness in the depths. Jonah chapter two, verse three, all your waves and your billows passed over me, very similar to Psalm 42, verse number seven. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. Jonah chapter two, verse four, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Sounds very similar to Psalm 31, verse 22. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. Jonah chapter two and verse number four, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Sounds very similar to Psalm chapter five, verse number seven, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Jonah chapter two, verse seven, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Psalm 18, verse number six, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Our God is so accessible 
that he has already provided for us scriptures to uh, communicate to us his characteristics, his nature. He's provided for us things that we need to know about him uh, and even a reminder of past protections and salvations of other individuals that were in distress such as Jonah. Jonah knew about perhaps when others had been saved, the psalmist had been saved from their circumstances and Jonah thought, if they would save, if God would save them, he'll save me too. And I'm gonna pray this prayer using these psalms that I have committed to my memory and it's gonna be helpful to me in accessing my God. And God is the one that provided even those things. That's how accessible God is. As we conclude, not only should we remember that we serve an accessible God, not just only that, but how accessible God is, but I want us to think about the fact as we close that God can find a way to access me even in my distress, even in my distress. Consider that through the whole book of Jonah, God is in control. In Jonah chapter one, verse number four, God appointed a storm, the scripture says. In Jonah chapter one, verse number 17, the Lord appointed a fish. In Jonah chapter four, verse number six, the Lord appointed a plant. In Jonah chapter four, verse number seven, he appointed a worm. In Jonah chapter four and verse number eight, he appointed an east wind. God is in control. And we find that God is in control and has been in control before my distress. Before my distress, he appointed the storm. God was working before the distress that Jonah was in. Yes, it seems as though God was somewhat responsible for putting Jonah in that distress and that he sent that storm. But it was for the sake of teaching Jonah to rely upon God and putting him in those circumstances so that he had no choice but to rely upon him. But not only that, he appointed the fish. He appointed the fish in the sense that he needed to realize that the fish was already alive and nearby. God had been working before, the fi- before Jonah was ever in need of the fish. That fish had already been in existence and he was there at the right place at the right time. God will be in control during my distress. Verse 17, again, as we think about the fish, he appointed that fish to swallow Jonah at just the right time. He appointed that fish to spit Jonah out at just the right place on dry land, not back out into the ocean. As you think about these things, God will continue to be in control after my distress is over. After my distress is over, you think about the fact that he appointed the, 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 the plant to go over Jonah. He appointed the worm to eat up the plant. He appointed the east wind to, to drive that away. And, and as you think about what Jonah is dealing with, even after his distress, God is still in control. And as we think about all of this, if we'll just but allow it, God's providence will help us to grow. And how do I know that? Because even though Jonah still seems to be quite a stinker, as, as uh, it has been said in Bible classes before, Jonah grows to the point that when he was displeased with the Lord in Jonah chapter four, verse number one, this time, though his attitude was faulty, though he had a bad negative thought process about the fact that the Ninevites had been saved, Jonah prays to God. Jonah prays to God. Doesn't have a good attitude about it, but at least this time we find Jonah praying. And it seems that God's providence, even in the distress that Jonah went through, and even because God was still accessible to Jonah in that moment, the next time Jonah needed to pray, even when he had a faulty faulty thinking and had a bad attitude, God was there. 
God may no longer be in the business of appointing fish to swallow people today, but he is in the business of appointing godly parents to rear us, in the business of appointing godly Bible class teachers and preachers and elders, elders to shepherd us, godly mentors to encourage us. He's in the business of of appointing godly brothers and sisters to, to encourage and edify us and build us up in times of distress that we are in. God will provide. He's accessible to me in prayer and he can access me through his people, even today, through his word, even today, to help me in my distress. When I think about the lengths that God went to access Jonah in his distress, it points to the lengths that he went to access all people in the greatest distress, that is the distress of sin. The point of the whole book of Jonah, the the way that the book ends is this question. Should I not pity Nineveh, that that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? The point is God created all of mankind and he cares for it deeply. He cares for me and he cares for you. Do you not desire to have a relationship with such an accessible God? Perhaps this evening you are not in a relationship where you find God to be accessible to you. Well, it's, it's not him, it's you and it's me when we feel that way. It's because our God is there and waiting and willing to, to take us home, much like the prodigal son's father. If you are in, a, in a, a relationship with him that is separated from him, we want you to make that right, whether you're not a Christian or you are. If you feel like you are not in a relationship with him any longer, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.